Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basic opinion. Today is May 8th, 2017, and this is episode 200. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. On today's show, we're going to take a deep, deep stroll into the medical wing. We'll also go around the bases in the week that was Orioles baseball. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for my favorite time. It's the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? I have myself a gin and tonic with Bombay Sapphire. Not, however, not the, the recall version. Not the recalled Canadian version, which, frankly, I think is a feature and not a bug. How much do you think those bottles are going to go for? Like, there has to be like a somewhat of a collector's item. I mean, I bet they taste awful. Sure. But um, they've got to be someone to be allowed to be like, hey, have you ever had Bombay Sapphire before? Have you ever had it be 85% alcohol? Well, I mean, if you need something to clean with, it, it's a really great solution. Yeah, or just Everclear, basically. Um, I'm actually drinking a Dale's Pale Ale this week. Um, nice, simple, hoptastic um, from Oscar Blues. Uh, if you want to find out what we are drinking on a weekly basis, check us out on Untapped. I'm at MAGN8606. I'm at JakeE4025. All right. And as I promised... Let's uh, stretch out, limber up, because it's time for us to take a jaunt, as it were, through the medical wing. Nobody's giggling. Nobody is giggling. I'm gonna check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you Nobody's grown this week. We've been groaning. It's not going to just take a little... Nope. Just tears and misery, folks. Tears and misery. All right. So we promised on the Twitter um, that uh, the medical wing was going to be extensive this week. So let's go through... I think they're breaking ground on a new wing of the medical wing. Yes. They're trying to expand their capacity. Right. So the asbestos wing has been filled at this (laughs) point, and now we are going into the medical wing... Is this the Richie Bancel's medical wing, basically, at this point? It may be, although they may they may be breaking ground on the Ebel, uh, the the Brian Ebel addendum. Well, hopefully, we can have a mustache replacement surgery go on with one of these individuals. But let's start with left forearm discomfort 2.0. Zach Britton uh, went for an MRI. Team reports no damage, just forearm inflammation. As if as if they would report anything else. Sure. Right. Uh, going out to the doctors in L.A., uh, what's the guy's name? Um, uh, El, Rot- El Atrache or something yeah, yeah, like that? Yeah, it's, it's not Dr. Death. Yeah, not Dr. Death, um, but that's who Scott Boris wants him to go meet with, so I'm sure there's going to be all positive news coming out of that. Um, and Britain admitted to rushing back against doctor's recommendations, will now slow down and heed doctor's advice. <sighs> all right, so I need to stop at this one because I've been thinking about this one a lot. Yeah, every time I close my eyes, all I see is him wincing. So if Britain came back early and the doctor said, no, you really shouldn't come back early, how does the team say, yep, we're going to go ahead and activate you and bring you into Boston? Yeah, that's that's a good question, and, and I think it's a fair question. Let me ask you this. Sure. Do you think that it is more likely that the team who was winning mm-hmm. rushed Zach Britton back, mm-hmm. or do you think it's more likely that Zach Britton, who's never had a serious injury before, rushed himself back to to get back into the bullpen. I'm going to go with both. All right. And and go from there. Here's the thing that really bothers me. <clears throat> I Setbacks happen all the time. But it certainly feels like the Orioles sometimes have a tendency to rush these things with getting people back. And I just look at Tillman coming back on Sunday, and I'm thinking to myself, 
gosh, I hope it's not a reoccurrence again where it's going to be, we rushed you back as quick as possible because we really needed you, and then you're going to get hurt in a few weeks. I, I would argue, though, that I, I don't think that the Orioles really need Zach Britton right now. And yes, the Yankees series is a great example of just how valuable Zach Britton is. But if you if you take the the 10,000-foot view of how the season is going right now, they're not in trouble. And yes, maybe... Folks, bookmark that right there in the podcast. You can pull that up at the end of the season and point out where Jake English sunk the Orioles season. At 20 and 10, the Orioles are not in trouble. I, I feel comfortable saying that. But, uh, you Jake, know... do you feel more comfortable having Stefan Crichton on this team as opposed to Zach Britton? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. But if you are at the point where you Jake, can... do you feel more comfortable having Richard Blyer on this team? Well, let me ask you, is Zach Britton going to give you four innings? Um, probably <laughs> not. No. Um, although if he did, he might do it better than Richard Blyer. <laughs> probably so. <laughs> uh, so he's going to heed doctor's advice. Let's just lay it out right now. Do you think he's going to have Tommy John? No. So you think he's going to be okay? I never said that. I just don't <laughs> think he's going to have Tommy John. Look, you watched him come out and pitch and nothing that he was doing up there basically said, this is the Zach Burton of old when he is pitching. Uh, the vertical movement was um, pretty much, I wouldn't say non-existent, but definitely not the devastating pitch that it has been for the past few years. Zach Burton, um, I, I, I don't know how they don't see this in the scouting reports or in the minor leagues of saying, that's a pitcher that's not quite ready yet. Um, we're not going to activate him. And they're certainly familiar with him. I mean, at, at every stage in the minors and here in the, in the majors, uh, everybody should know Zach Britton because they worked hard to get him here. You know, he was a failed starter. He was a guy they put a lot of effort into. They know his mechanics. They know what's right and what's not right. I'm sorry, with is him. Dave Wallace still with the team? <laughs> no. Does Roger McDowell actually know who Zach Britton is? I mean, he's barely seen him at this point. That's true. I'm not even sure Roger McDowell knows who he is. All right. So Zach Britton, you... you he's a spitter. <laughs> You think Zach Britton is going to survive? I think Zach Britton is going to survive. However, I think it's going to be one of those situations where it's going to be very Darren O'Day-ish is the best way to describe it this season, where he will come back for stretches, but he will not be the Zach Britton that we have known and loved, well, which we had predicted, yeah, it's a but maybe not to the degree that we thought it was going to fall off the curve. Because that's a different question. Is it Zach Britton is not the same because nobody can be the same as he was that one year, or is Zach Britton not the same because he's hurt? Uh, it's both. It's it's he's he wasn't going to be as good as he was last year because to to regard it was kind of a fluke in terms of last season, and the other aspect is he's going to be playing hurt. Um, did so, you just taco girl me? I did just taco girl you. That's an American university. No, I'm sorry, that's taco boying you. If it was an American university thing, poor Candelus dose. <laughs> Anything else on Zach Britton other than just? Tears. Now, I could really go with a lot of poor kidless dose American League <laughs> University jokes, but I'm going to go on and, uh, and continue. Uh, Gabriel and Noah, uh, hamstring issue, um, actual injury or roster manipulation on your on your on your point? I I think this may be roster. See, I think it actually was an injury. I think it was okay. Something happened. Um, six innings, a hundred pitches. I, I think that it was pushing a Noah a little bit. The Orioles are using a six man pen to try to figure out some sort of situation to, uh, to, to, you know, figure this, uh, roster thing out by hooker by crook. I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, <coughs> Oh gosh. Oh, I just pitched a bunch of innings. Won't see me for 10 days. So we, we'll know that as a confirmation, um, as of the end of tomorrow's game, what a ball to Jimenez pitches. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, you know, maybe, maybe Baldo Jimenez will find his way into a pothole. Spe speaking of weird injuries, uh, let's talk about Francisco Pena for a second. Yeah. He, you and I were at the game. Yeah. So we, we didn't have the benefit of the commentary. He was removed during warm up pitches. I assumed he took uh, a ball to the, the throwing hand. Sure. But he just had like a weird thumb, thumb cramp slash thing. hand crampy thingy. And it wasn't a particularly hot day. So it wasn't dehydrated. Just, something happened so i've normally found that when i'm playing with my balls too much mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that my hands sometimes cr cramps up they do cramp up in all yeah, weather in, in all weather. weather yeah no Warm, matter what happens hot, cold that's what's important to you know keep it flexible and lubricate mm -hmm. um heavily so that that cramping doesn't occur when you're playing with your balls i feel like we've covered good uh yeah, good territory absolutely. he is he is back uh he is ready to back uh back up for uh caleb joseph who's starting tonight on monday which is in a way disappointing yep because I think that catcher depth is probably not a, an area where the Orioles are blessed right now. And I'm dying to see Ryan Flaherty 
uh, don the tools of ignorance. Can you imagine Ryan Flaherty coming in to catch a game and then them saying, you know what? We got to 17 innings. We need to bring Ryan Flaherty into pitch. And then he has to flip flop the role from going from catcher to pitcher. I don't think you're looking at this the right way. All right. Imagine an inning in which Chris Davis pitches to Ooh. Ryan Flaherty. Ooh, hello. See? Hello. See? Uh, what what else is going on? There, we were not even halfway There's through the There's a plethora of stuff. I mean, Wade Miley being lit up twice in a row, basically, by target practice. I mean, the the odds that a ball comes back up the middle, and then immediately the next batter, the ball comes up the middle again and hits you, and you've got to come out the game. I mean, come on. like Never tell me the odds, Scott. Never tell us the odds, indeed. Um, should he make his next scheduled starter? Do you think the Orioles should give him some time to kind of recuperate? No, I think it'll be fine. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, they they took him out for a. You so you're know, saying that he's used to taking balls to the face. I I say that he's he's used to going down. Um, he he came out because of an abundance of caution, uh, which I get. I'm a little surprised that he was not able to argue his way to stay in the game. I, I think he's fine. Did you see him get taken back by the second one? He literally almost did like a Nelson Cruz backflip with JJ Hardy coming across home plate. It was uh, you know, I was <laughs> impressed. He he's a nimble guy for being you know not not the the. The fleetest of foot. All right. So speaking of catchers as well, Wellington Castillo out with neck spasm slash shoulder discomfort. Should come off the DL, ineligible on Thursday. Apparently, he's been bothered by this um, a little bit through spring training, which just getting goes to prove out to the old timers that the World Baseball Classic <laughs> is the worst thing ever, and uh, it should never be played by Major League Baseball. Yeah, wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be an injury if he hadn't uh, hadn't played against either that. It was all that hanging out with Manny Machado since he's such a bad influence. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you throw one bat and suddenly. You're all torqued up. Speaking about bad influences around with Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope, hand bruise slash swelling. Yeah, he's he's back in the lineup tonight, out for two games. And by the way, out for two games, broke up his consecutive game streak, oh. which ended at 190. It was, at the time, the second longest in Major League Baseball, uh, which just goes to show you uh, that Cal Ripken can beat up Jonathan Scope. I don't think that's the way it works. No, it's transitive sports properties. If if I win a, a game by a greater score than the, the team that I beat beat another team, I can beat the team by twice as much. Gotcha. Here's a question for you, just as a hypothetical, because I love throwing hypotheticals on this podcast. Do you think Jonathan Scope has more range than Cal Ripken? No. You don't think so? No. I think he actually might. I think of the many gifts that, that Jonathan Scope has, range is not one of them. I, I think that his arm is phenomenal. If you want to talk about whether or not he has yeah. more arm strength than Ripken, I say absolutely. Range, no. I disagree. All right. Well, folks, tell me why I'm wrong or right um, with on, on Twitter. I, I think that if I were to go back and watch a few Orioles games, I think I would come away saying Jonathan Scope is probably about the same ranginess as Cal Ripken. All right. Let me stop you there. Do you think that Jonathan Scope can play shortstop? Uh, no. All right. We're done here. All right. Um, anything else going on the medical wing? I think we've spent about, oh, let me see here. I think like eight plus minutes on the medical wing, which I think is a new personal record. Well, the Orioles made us do it. The Orioles made us do it. But Here's hey, the thing. I'm looking at this list and I still feel like we're missing things. It's the best way to describe it. There were so many roster moves and DL stints and people being pulled at weird times. I feel like we missed something in here so you you did have your crack researcher on it uh, i did have my crack researcher on it <laughs> uh, so if we miss something uh feel free to point that out to jake and say do your research better next time with that let's get to 104 characters or less with this week on the twitters jake why don't you go ahead and take the first one All right, we have a tweet from uh major league baseball network they tweet at mlb network and this is a ridiculous tweet it's an absurd tweet should changes be made to speed up extra innings, extra inning games? If so, what would you change? Hashtag the rundown. Can we stop with this? Why are we trying to fix a game that is not broken? And every time we have extra inning games, are we going to have to answer, wow, is the game broken? Is it because the ESPN broadcast is just that bad? Honestly, I think the only people that really dislike extra innings are people that have to cover the game. Mm. I, you do have that tendency, Jake, to drink, bring out extra inning games in the press box and getting the, the death eye from people. But really, is it the media or the is fans? Dan, is Dan Connolly talking to you yet, by the way? <laughs> he doesn't like it when I <laughs> cause extra innings. But seriously, is it is it the folks that, that tweet questions like this or the fans that really care about uh, extra innings and whether or not the game needs to speed it up? I don't, I don't think I've come across a single fan that says to me, 
oh, I'm really upset that there's extra innings, unless your team just blew a lead, basically. is the only reason for extra innings. But people are like, eh, it's an extra inning or two. The the, the fan that has come to the ballpark is not going to be like, oh, really don't want to watch another extra inning. And and you know that uh, the fans were desperate to see the intentional walk go as well. So we're really really doing a, uh, a benefit to the, the common fan. All right. So, Jake, uh, this next tweet um, goes into the category of we'll drink them all season long if you let us. This comes from at Mass Orioles. You can keep your margarita. We're having an orange crust. Flex muscle, hashtag I back the birds. Not good as fire emoji, but flex muscle is not bad. Uh, I will drink the orange crushes as long as he will let us. Yeah. Next, let's take another look at a tweet from Orioles Uncensored, another great Orioles podcast. They tweet at Un, uh, O's Uncensored. More shirt ideas. Boston shot first for all my Star Wars nerds. I like that. Yeah. I like that. However, I will say that if you're going to have any team referred to as Greedo, it's got to be the Yankees. Uh, Jake, this next tweet goes into the slurpity slurp 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 category. I'm sorry, which one is that? That would be the slurpity slurp 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 category. This comes from Andrew Marchin at Andrew Marchin. These Yankees and Cubs are destined to meet in the World Series via at ESPN app. I'm sorry, I didn't realize this was not football or basketball, so I don't recognize this. This is an absurd, absurd tweet. They're destined to meet in the World Series. This is precisely why I stopped consuming ESPN content. And oh, by the way, when you get rid of great talent, all that remains is this kind of crap. Mm. Uh, Scotty, I hate to do it twice in a single this week on the Twitters, but can I go back to uh, somebody we've already mentioned? Um, I guess, but again, it's pretty poor form. You allow it with objection? Yes. So noted in the record. Yeah. O's Uncensored, on fire uh, on the Twitters this week. Great. It's time for the annual game of DC fans insisting Baltimore fans have an inferiority complex when we really just don't care. Is this a thing? And by, and, and I, I will defer uh, to John's uh, judgment because they are actually centered in D.C. I think they're from Rockville or whatever. Um, so so they understand the D.C. sports fan a lot better than we do. But d- is there the whining that Baltimore has an inferiority complex? Uh, it's, it's possible. Um, I could see that happen. See that happening a little bit. Well, let me go one step further. Does the Baltimore sports fan have an inferiority complex of what D.C. has going on? <sighs> I'm going to say no at this moment. What do you think? I say no. I don't I don't care. I, I'm not a hockey or basketball fan, so it's easy for me to say. I do think it's weird that here we are beating our chests about the uh, Battle of the Beltway going on, and then, uh, you know, the same people donning themselves in orange black uh, and black are then going to rock the red. That's a little, a little awkward to me, but, I mean, I'll allow, you know, live and let live. Jake, uh, you broke the rules in, in a prior tweet, so I'm going to break the rules here. Uh, we got a lot of tweets on this, um, and there was a lot going back about this whole um, kerfuffle, I guess is the best word to use, about the Boston Red Sox having a destination trip down to uh, Camden Yards uh, in in the near future. Uh, this is on the Red Sox website under uh, Red Sox slash tickets slash info slash destinations. And there is a Red Sox in Baltimore party, pregame Red Sox party on Saturday, June 3rd in the warehouse um, with a... Uh, looks like a Boston B shirt and something along the lines of let's go ahead and take back the yard or something like that or something disgusting. So Jake, tell me why this bothers you. Well, can I share an unpopular opinion? Sure. This doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you actually go to the, the Red Sox website, they do all sorts of trips. First of all, they sell uh, trip packages to Fenway Park for Boston fans that live elsewhere to come and see the Red Sox play. And then they buy tickets at other parks for their fans to attend and sit amongst other Red Sox fans. And sure, it's easy to say, oh, don't come to our park. But they don't single out the Orioles. The Red Sox have trips to Pittsburgh, New York to see the Yankees, Chicago to see the Cubs, Seattle, Detroit, L.A. to see the Angels, Chicago to see the White Sox, Kansas City, and Baltimore. Frankly, I think it's a pretty good idea, and it's something I wish the Orioles would do. Wouldn't it be nice to see really amazing parks with the the benefit of one to 200 other Orioles fans? How cool would it be to go up to 
PNC to see a, a game, you know, against the pirates in a beautiful park. How cool would it be to go to some of the the meccas of Major League Baseball, like Wrigley or Fenway, and sit amongst your people? I don't I, think people should have a problem with this at all. I mean, I don't think it's so much an issue with what you're pointing out. I think the bigger issue that people have is that the Red Sox are personally promoting it. Um, you have third-party vendors such as like Be More Around Town that constantly mm-hmm. do this. Uh, the Mets uh, fan group that does this too that came down and everyone in Baltimore got to a hissy fit because they took over the entire section and were cheering the Mets on the whole time. I think this is perfectly fine if a third party is doing it. But when it's the other team doing and saying, hey, you need to take over another team's ballpark, I think this comes back to the whole aspect of Red Sox Nation slash bandwagon slash you don't really know what you're rooting for. I also look at the prices for this for this game. It's $135 or $4 per person. And if you only have tickets to the game, it's $99 per person to go for a pregame party uh, to get a T-shirt and potentially win a raffle prize. I mean, that's a terrible deal. I mean, this is these are not true fans. We hear it every single year from people. They say, well, uh, the Red Sox fans come to Camden Yards because it's cheaper for them to come down here as opposed to going to their own stadium. No, that is not right whatsoever. This, first of all, shows it right away. Like $134 per person, no, like, and that doesn't even include your hotel fee. Even if Red Sox fans and New York fans wanted to come down from Boston to New York, you're talking, what, 30 to $40 per tolls? So with that and then a hotel and food and everything like that, there's no way that the cost balances out between going to a game in Boston and going to a game at Camden Yards. I don't want to hear that opinion anymore. It's a garbage opinion. All right. So I reached out to the Boston Red Sox twice uh, in the last couple of days to try to talk to their PR department about this very ticketing issue. Um, they were not incredibly receptive to my questions. So they, so they brushed you back is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> the question that I would have liked to ask, and it wouldn't have been an ambush job. I mean, I, I actually think this is a, a cool ticketing policy and I, and I wish that the Orioles would do it. But I do wonder this. Mm-hmm. Let's say the Red Sox buy, what is it? 200 uh, tickets to Camden Yards or whatever. Does the team in any way, shape or form feel responsible for the behavior of the fans that buy the tickets in that section? I'd say yes. It comes back to the same point of if you buy a group rate, yeah. uh, the group person that bought the group tickets is specifically responsible for it and can't buy a group ticket anymore in case something were to happen. Similar like if you sell your season tickets and someone does something with your season tickets, you're ultimately held responsible along with the person that potentially got kicked out of the stadium. I'd be curious to see if that would improve our experience with our guests. It's an interesting thought. Um, that being said, I don't see many people from Northern Virginia going through the Red Sox website to buy tickets. Certainly not. All right. Anything else that we need to go for this week on the Twitters? No, I think I've, I've gotten up on my soapbox just enough. All right. Well, I've got to say, Jake, this may be the longest opening intro segment in Bird's Eye View history. But we're going to go a little bit longer, and we're going to go around the bases next. Hey, Scotty, let's go around the bases, and I want to start directly at first base with the return of Chris Tillman. Oh, yeah. You and I watched that appearance in person. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you, I was not impressed. Really? I was not impressed with what we saw. 93 pitches to cover five innings. It just, you know, it, it was not overly impressive, particularly because... This may have been more of an accomplishment if it were somebody other than the White Sox. This is not a great quality opponent that he played. And sure, his arm did not fall off. That was good that his arm did not yeah, fall off. Yeah, and there were five scoreless innings uh, through which he wriggled out of a couple jams. But he appeared to struggle with his command, and his fastball hovered around 89 miles an hour. Now, he was uh, effective, yeah, sure. And uh, I don't, I just don't know that he has the makeup to survive in the majors at 89. And when Tillman is off his game, he throws one of two pitches. One, a meatball right down the plate, or a non-competitive pitch that's in the other 
batter's box that, that doesn't draw swings. And he's seldom in between. When he's on his game, he uses his off-speed stuff to generate weak contact, which are usually fly balls. His four-seamer is pretty straight and requires the velocity to explode on hitters in order to maximize its effectiveness. And particularly if his fastball velocity is not going to be that impressive, the the effectiveness of his cutter is then also diminished because the velocity difference is one of the things that makes the cutter work. I feel like Tillman is going to have a hard time missing bats and finding outs if he is the pitcher that we saw on Sunday. And I don't want to be all doom and gloom. I'm not saying the sky is falling. Five innings is a very small sample size. But I saw nothing in that start that made me feel better than I did when I watched the reports of his rehab start uh, starts roll in. And so the Orioles have Chris Tillman back. But I'm not sure they have the guy that they've counted upon over the last several years to be their de facto ace. I hear what you're saying, and I definitely don't think it was a a wow performance. And in fact, that first inning was um, it was it was a wow of a different kind. It, it was pretty dreadful. But I, I guess I don't think it was as bad as potentially you're making out to be. Uh, Jake, uh, he did go only five innings. I will give him that much. But, for example, Dylan Bundy against the White Sox did only go six innings, for example. The White Sox did a great job at this past series, not so much of scoring runs, as it were, but also fouling off a lot of pitches and putting the balls in place. So there wasn't a ton of whiffs, is the best way to describe it. I'd also come back and point out, when has Chris Tillman ever been a, a starter that goes deep into games? Jake, I'm looking at Chris Tillman's stats from last year, and I don't see a single start where he went more than seven innings. And that was pretty much during one of Chris Tillman's better seasons. In fact, to start the season, Jake, uh, I'm going to exclude the opening day game because that was the one that was rained. Um, But April 8th, five innings. April 14th, five and a third. Uh, April 21st, six. Uh, April 27th, six and two thirds. I think this is the Chris Tillman that we come to expect coming out of spring training, um, where, again, He's not going to really get that deep in games. If Chris Tillman can give you six innings, awesome. You go with it. And that's always been the knock on Chris Tillman, in my opinion. All right, so talk velocity to me. All right, so let's talk velocity. So Chris Tillman was put out there basically of having a VMAX of right around uh, 92 miles per hour and an average velocity of 90.2 miles per hour. Eh, not too happy about it. Not peak Chris Tillman, but also... Pretty much the best case scenario that I could have expected coming into the start. We just talked about whether or not Zach Britton was rushed. Yeah. Do you think do you think that Chris Tillman's velocity will improve? Um, I think it's going to be one of the situations where it's always been Chris Tillman, where it's up down, up down, up down, up down, up down. I'm glad it wasn't 88 miles per hour. I'll say that much. But at the same point, I think this is going to be the Chris Tillman that we're going to have to know and love. And I don't think he's going to be that ace that everyone wanted to proclaim him as last season, even though he never was. Um, and I think he's going to be a serviceable number two, number three starter. Do you think that he can do the job that he needs to do when he doesn't have 93 to reach back and get? Um, I do. I think he can do it. It's just going to come back to the aspect of how well he sequences his pitches. All right. And the other thing I will say, and again, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. If Chris Tillman can come back and be a 2-3 uh, starter and Dylan Bundy is in ace form, sure, that's a net gain, right? Absolutely. And and basically, if you, if you fill this rotation with just not negatives, that's a good thing. Sure. I, I just, I was not impressed with what I saw. And it could be that he's, that he's rusty. It could be that he's still basically in spring training form trying to get into, you know, what would normally be in April. And that... That's fine. I just don't want to make excuses for a guy when what you see with your eyes doesn't match what you've seen in the past. And, you know, I'm going to be looking at this a lot more carefully. Uh, Scotty, I, I wandered into your zone and spent some time over at Baseball Savant, looked at some Ooh. Brooks baseball results, Ooh. not only at, at uh, you know, the velocity, not only the type of pitches that were thrown, but what happened. You know, what swing percentage, what whiff percentage were, was he getting with those pitches? Because those things matter. And if the velocity is not there, but he's still being effective, great. But we're going to have to wait and see and, and just color me suspicious. So you're going to go with 
Small, simple size. Small, small, simple size. I am. Okay. Look, Chris Tillman is not going to blow you out of the water with his stats, either in his K percentage and or his walk rate. He's a very meh uh, pitcher in terms of sabermetric stats, which is why whenever you look at his projection systems, it always comes out being like, eh, he's probably going to be worth like one win. And people are like, what are you talking about? He won 16 games last year. And you're (laughs) just like, yeah, but he has like, I got 7.3 Ks per nine and like three and a half walks per nine. So like... He doesn't strike you much more than a third or fourth number or three number four starter. Um, we will see with Chris Tillman. Uh, I'm not expecting much from him this season going forward. If he can post mediocre numbers and potentially kick a ball to Jimenez out of the rotation, then victory, folks. Thanks. Net gain. Yep. All right, let's go over to second base, shall we? I want to talk about the series that's going on in Baltimore right now and will continue in Washington later on in the week. This, of course, is the Baltimore-Washington series. Uh, let's just talk about what we call it, the Masson Cup, uh, et cetera, et cetera. A couple people on Twitter today have been complaining about it being referred to as the Battle of the Beltway and feel that because there are more than one Beltway in the cities uh, in, involved, it should be the Battle of the Beltways. First of all, it should have been called the Battle of the Parkway, that's just more geographically correct. But I like Battle of the Beltway. And I've I've come around on this and I've I've been converted. And I want to tell you why. Alliteration. <laughs> there is that. Look, the next bows were dropped in the middle of Orioles fandom. Washington, D.C. was the Baltimore Orioles territory. And yeah, okay, fine. The senators were there at one point and the Orioles came to I don't want to hear all that. Right now in 2005, when the Nationals came to town, it was the Orioles territory. And so the reason I like the reference of Battle of the Beltway is because the battle has been taken to Washington. The the Washington Nationals have to fight for the hearts and minds of their own fans. They have to claw out as many fans as they can from the Orioles' domain. The enemies are already at the gates as far as the Washington Nationals are concerned. The Battle of the Beltway has the border at 495, with the Orioles pressing in. And that's exactly where I like them. And if you look at the Masson Cup, my friends, the latest results show that. What is it, seven of the last ten games between the Orioles and the Nationals have it going the right way? The Orioles have won the Masson Cup, have been dominating this battle of the Beltway. And I ask you, Scotty, if they are the more dominant team between the two, do you think you'll start seeing some Washington area baseball fans turn to the Orioles the way they did before the the district had a team. No. Why do you ruin this for me? And also, can I just point out this whole series? Meh. It's not a rivalry. Nobody cares. No one cares. I mean, I, I'm actually just happy to not be playing some of the ALEs for a few games. I, I will say, though, that it's nice having both the teams be good. I, I Here's where why it doesn't matter is I'm looking at the game right now, and I'm looking in the upper deck, and um, there's pretty much no one there, which is to be expected for a, a normal Monday night game. But again, everyone's like, oh, well, they need to have more games against the Nationals because then the folks come up from Annapolis and the folks come up. Now, there's no a boost in attendance here right now. These teams and this rivalry that is trying try to made, um, it, it's not there, folks. It Just get over it. It's not going to happen. I, I think that, if they want to make it happen, they've got to set. Jake, these- it's not going to happen. If Major League Baseball wants to try to sell it, okay, okay, they need to put these games in September. Mm. They need to put these games in September because I ask you this: okay, what is a better way to build a rivalry than to have both these teams competing and have the possibility of the four-game Orioles Nationals series be able to knock one of the two teams out of playoff contention? I see. I disagree. Here's what needs to happen. Uh, the Orioles and Nationals need to go to the arbitration panel. And as per the arbitration decision, uh, the Mass and Cup will distinguish an aspect where a tier system is established, where if the Orioles win, a certain tier is allocated of the TV Mass and money to the Orioles, and a certain tier is allocated to the Nationals. And if the Nationals win, the Nationals get, we'll call it an additional 15% of the TV revenues for the deal. That would be much more interesting to me. You know what they call that? What do they call it? Dong money. Uh, I thought it was payola, but... <laughs> third base? Let's go to third base. 
the return of former Orioles. So we've seen fans uh, response to Nick Markakis in previous seasons. We've seen the fans have a response to Steve Pierce. We recently saw Miguelito return on Friday to Miguel, a- my bell. And then we saw Matt Wieters this evening on Monday get a standing ovation. Um, and I just think back to the aspect of how are future former Orioles going to be received when they're back in Baltimore? Uh, you know what? I, I can't go any further. Um, Jake, I've got to ask you this question. We're going to talk about Manny here, right? Yeah, this, the, the, there are no other future former Orioles that matter. I, well, I still think Adam Jones actually might matter as well. But, I don't think he's going to be a former Oriole. Yeah. But how will you greet Manny Machado when he's gone? Well, that all comes down to one very important question. All right. We all know the name that's going to be on the back of his jersey. <sighs> What's going to be on the front? Do we know that his he, jersey? Are we sure there's going to be a name on the back of his jersey? Oh, jeez. <laughs> yes, that's the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> uh, if he shows up to town as a member of the LA Angels, yeah, or the can you imagine him and be on the Angels with Trout? Yeah, that'd be amazing. Or or the Miami Marlins, yeah, or the Chicago Cubs, or the St. Louis Cardinals. Please clap. <laughs> I would absolutely greet him warmly and thank him for everything that he brought to this team. And it's been a lot. Mm-hmm. If he shows up in pinstripes, I'm not sure I can forgive him for that. And look, we all in any profession that we that we are a part of, we do what's right for us. We get the most money we can. When when pensions stopped and the social contract, oh, I'm going to dip into Baltimoreans territory here. When the social contract was broken and there was no more pension, People jump jobs, right? So you don't stay with one company forever. Baseball is is similar in the fact that it's just not the case that you stay with one team your entire career. That's fine. But there is a distinction between going off and making your money and going off and making your money with the New York Yankees. One is forgivable. The other is not. Gotcha. Wouldn't you have a problem even giving him the the pity clap for his first at bat back if he was wearing pinstripes? This is the classic Mussina conundrum, basically. Yeah. When Mussina left the team, you know, did you really feel like it was Mussina's fault or did you feel like it was ownership's fault? Um, That's a fair point. And I I think we have a tendency to um, emphasize on this program and specifically Baltimore on said history has a tendency to repeat itself. Unfortunately, we're not seeing history repeat itself so much in Washington, DC as a new script is being ushered every single day. Um, I, I don't know how I'm going to respond. I just know that I'm going to be grumpy in that response. Well, I mean, that's a really good point. And, and I'm thinking about it on the fly because I hadn't considered that, but when you talk about Messina, that was clearly the team's fault. The team clearly handled it poorly. But do you think the team operates that way anymore? Or do you think that the baseball operations people have more of a grip on the negotiations? You're right. Um, it's not likely it's going to happen again. It's not like um, an owner has gotten involved and uh, outbid himself for a uh, a first baseman that has one skill set. Hey, I'd love for him to outbid himself on Manny Machado. Right. If that if that's the president we're talking about, that's one thing. But to take it or leave it and, and not even a market deal, I don't think that'll happen again. I think what's more likely is that they'll simply say, Manny Machado, you're out of our league. Thanks for all the memories. Which would be super, super sad. I mean, yeah, it'd be super, super sad. I mean, and the other aspect is... And it would be easier to get over if he was in L.A. <laughs> it would be easier to get over. Let me ask you a question. In, in terms of players leaving... Which one has bothered you the most? I, I think Manny, certainly for me, is going to probably rival Musina. I don't think there's been a single player that has left for me that I'm like, ugh, that, like, I can't even watch it. Musina killed me every single time watching him come out in yeah. pinstripes. But for you, what's been the worst player leaving that has bothered you? Well, I mean, it's sad, but for me, it's it's Brian Roberts. Mm-hmm. And, and it was Brian Roberts because for the longest time, the team was so awful, and he was all we had. Right. He was the only bright spot worth watching. And I think that people forget through that final four years of his contract how good he was for a time. He was the premier um he was the premier leadoff hitter in baseball. He was a doubles machine. He, he was, was a doubles machine. An absolute monster on the base pads. He he literally was the best 
that I can ever remember at stealing third base. He played a decent second base and it sometimes had a highlight reel. You know what he also was good at? What? He was good at this. Yes, it's time for the Brian Roberts watch. He was good for a lot of shtick. And then he, and he got, was good for his wife, too. Really good for his wife. And his wife was good for you, Scott. And his wife was good for me, too. Diana, he, I've missed you. He got hurt. I've missed you and, so long and so long ago. Please come back. But for me, it was Brian Roberts. I, I missed him, and it sucked seeing him in, in pinstripes. It was like, it was the womp womp at the end of his career. It really was. It was the... Uh, deer in the headlights look that uh, really did it for me. All right. Well, that was a really sad third base, um, which is normally the case for the Baltimore Orioles. At least we didn't. You're right. At least we didn't end <laughs> on that note. And around the bases. And around the bases over. Sad note. All right. So home plate, upcoming Orioles schedule. I already mentioned this before. I am so glad that we are not playing uh, the AL East for a little bit because, frankly, I need a break from it. It is just too stressful. And I know. Your opinion always is uh, a day of baseball um, is terrible. But uh, there was a certain point last week during the Red Sox series. I was like, oh, God, can this please just be a three-game series? Like, I just need a break on Thursday before I go into another series. I'm like, no, it's a four-game series. It's not going to happen. A, a day a day without baseball is always worse than a day with, with baseball except for that Boston series. <laughs> All right, so upcoming series uh, against the Nationals and then – um, it, really interesting coming up with it, the Royals and the Tigers, who are both. Um, well, let's just say they're not both not doing great as of lately. Well, the the Royals are super struggling. I, the Tigers are to five hundred, so they may be nothing. They you may be something. literally just said about the White Sox who are five hundred, saying this is not a very good team. I said it's not a quality team, particularly okay. particularly with their offense. But are you arguing semantics once again? Yes. It's all okay, that's all I've got. Gotcha. So they play the Royals, who are awful. Yeah. They go to the Tigers, who are a 500 team. They come back home to play the Blue Jays, who we know we know who they are. Yeah. In that homestand, they also play three against the Twins. Day off, they go to Houston, and then they come back for a three-game series to, to wrap up May against the Yankees. Can I just say, it feels like it has been forever since we had an extended home, a home-like series. Like, the longest home series I think we've had so far is six games. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. I mean, when do the Orioles come back home and actually have like nine games in a row? It's, I think it's like August off the top of my head. Like, it just seems, I don't know, it just seems so top-heavy right now in terms of a way. And do you, does that bother you at all? No. Not okay. Really. Not really. Because the, the thing is, I think that the way that people consume baseball games is that they don't you know, stay for a whole series or a home whole homestand. Here's a question for you. Do you think the Orioles specifically requested a heavier away series uh, to begin the year to kind of get into warmer months at Camden Yards so they could boost attendance? Do you think that the Orioles would be responded to by the MLB by Major League Baseball? People? By Major League Baseball in general? No, I take it back. You're the absolutely Major right. Major League Baseball would take that request and then they would hand it to the Blue Jays and the Nationals and the rest. All right. Uh, you asked about their their homestands. They have a long homestand in June on the 16th, starting with the Cardinals, and then okay. another against uh, a four-game set at home, still against the Indians. They also have a long set in August. You're right. They start on the 14th, and they end on the 23rd. That's a nice series. Cubs, yeah. Rangers for four, Astros for three. So, That's yeah. a tough home series, but that'll be... That'd be a make or break, I think. Well, you talk about make or break. And actually, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the schedule is just looking at May, they have uh, they have series against the Royals and the Blue Jays. That's six games right there where those teams are struggling. Yeah. They also have to play the Astros who are playing well and the Yankees who, as we know, are in fuego. The Orioles need to be in the business of stealing wins where they can. So they need to handle their business against the Royals and the Blue Jays. And they need to do well against the Tigers and the Twins. Because if they can win those series, it's not imperative that they win the Yankee series. So, folks, mark that in your bookmarks, too, because that is Jake English's kiss of death prediction for the Baltimore Orioles for the 2017 season. Yeah, there is that. But, hey, this team is sitting at, what, 20 and 10? Yeah. And, again, they're not going to play 667 ball all year. But it does. But the Yankees are. <laughs> it makes it so they don't have to the rest of the way. A win uh, in April is just as basically valuable as a win in August and September. 
Well, with that, Jake, you could certainly use a win in our next segment for Deep Cuts. I was just talking today about how awful I am at this so far. You are pretty awful at this. Um, I am the J.J. Hardy of Deep Cuts. So, Jake, uh, I was thinking about today, and I was just like, all right, what can I do for Jake English to basically grow a groove ball up there and have him crush it over himself? Because certainly, Jake, and here's your clue, you have lost your way a little bit. You know it's bad when Scott Magnus feels bad for me. So, Jake, here is your deep track for the evening. Who are we listening to? Really? Yeah. This would be uh, Sir Paul. See, I, I didn't recognize him because he didn't sound elderly. He did not sound elderly. So you can name the song now, right? This is Old CM, Sir, which is uh, right off the Back to the Egg 1979 album with Wings. Yeah, there's a there's a reason. Back to the Egg and Flowers in the Dirt are two uh, two records I just don't. don't you don't do. even recognize. No. All right. No. So Jake, we're going to talk about catch probability because I want to talk about Woo! the Joey Rickard I knew amazing catch going. in uh, in Boston. So uh, we talked about this I think during the World Baseball Classic, and we talked about the Adam Jones play where he goes back in center field and makes the catch, um, and and we talked about you know catch probability. Um, and there were certain plays during the World Baseball Classic that you're just like, wow, that guy made a diving catch. And it's just like, yeah, but did he need to make a diving catch? Like, what kind of route did he take to take get that ball? No, uh, Ryan Flaherty in left field in Boston is another good example. He right. made that diving catch, and people said, see? See? No, no. a real outfielder catches a that ball. A real outfielder catches that ball. You look at Joey Rickard, and he basically did a, a, a figure eight is the best way to describe it in, in right field. Uh, backed up and then made a diving catch to make it and great snow cone catch. We'll give him that. But in all honesty, any other outfielder, including like Nick Morcakis, would have basically backed up on that. Potentially had to jump up and catch it, but it was not that hard of a play. Joey Rickard made it a lot more awkward than it needed to be. Coming back to Ryan Flaherty's situation, everyone kept pointing out Ryan Flaherty's playing lights out in left field. But if you look at it, his top speed was like 18 miles per hour, which is like jj hardy speed basically um which is not good so i don't understand i why people are so negative on sat with catch probability catch probability only goes to show you like hey that really wasn't that great of a catch because it was a pretty common catch that person just made it look a lot better than it really needed to be sure i have a question and i don't think it's one you can answer i think it's it's more of a rhetorical question that we should take a look at what is the skill when it comes to defense? Is the skill making sure that you have the best route efficiency to every ball, mm. or is the skill having more often than not decent route efficiency and enough athleticism to make up for mistakes when you misjudge balls? Uh, I think if you are looking for one or the other, I'm going to go with speed. If I have speed... I can get to that ball. Right. So, for example, like Billy Hamilton sometimes takes some weird routes to the ball, but he's got enough speed to basically make up for it. So I'm going to take speed over route efficiency any day. But you can quickly uh, eliminate issues with speed by taking really straight routes to the ball. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier, for example, has speed and takes some amazing routes to the ball. And by doing so, he catches everything that basically comes in the outfield and sometimes the infield in, in worst-case scenarios. I think the more StatCast data that we have available to us that tracks this kind of thing in defense will tell us, and, and we're going to need a couple of seasons. We're going to need 
you know, five seasons, sure. I think, to really be able to, to, to say something with, with uh, any kind of definition. But I think it'll tell us what the optimal fielder looks like. Sure. Because I, I think that much like... And here's what I'd say to that is, I think it's already there in terms of Major League Baseball teams having it. I just don't think it's out there for public disclosure at this point. Yeah. Well, okay. When when you talk about what the what we the fans and I say we in the, not like you know anybody else is dumb for this, but when we the fans think about what does your prototypical leadoff hitter look like? Yeah. That's not the best leadoff hitter. No. You know. Uh, and I think that we probably have the same. Oh, that looks like a great outfielder, and it's probably not the guys that we think that they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Um. I, like I said, we will continue to monitor this and take a look at a few of the stack cast numbers that are coming out this year. By uh, the way, for deep cuts, if I can't get uh, Paul McCartney, I think we should just close up shop. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I really thought I queued this up for you. It's like you literally put an arrow through me, which, again, was where old CM sir was on. It was on the B side of arrow through me, by the way. It's no good. No good? No good. All right, well, I guess we're going to be trying another Paul McCartney next week, folks, because uh, we are literally queuing up single AA uh, classics for Jake English <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Uh, with that, next we... week is going to be Hotel California. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> Freebird, actually. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and do the good, the bad, and uh, certainly the ugly. That's right, folks. It's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's when we tell you who made us proud to be an Orioles fan and who made us embarrassed to be an Orioles fan. I'm going to start off as we do most weeks so that Scott can rant and rave for his ugly. Let me start with the good, and my good goes to the Norfolk Shuttle. When you look at the leaders for innings pitched in the last seven days, you see Dylan Bundy with his 13 innings over two starts. You see Chris Tillman, which we just talked about, is five from yesterday. But the other names dominating the list, the Norfolk Shuttle. This past week, we saw 9.1 innings from Alec Asher, six from both Enoa and Tyler Wilson. Richard Blyer put in four decent innings. And when you look at the contribution from those guys, you must think to yourself, woof, that must be rough on the win-loss record. But here's the thing. The Norfolk Shuttle has been delivering here in the early going. Now, I mock viciously when Dan Duquette brags about the pitching depth, depth in the organization or about some off uh, cast-off that he's added to the mix at Norfolk. But for the time being, it's working. And it won't. It won't work forever. Eventually, we'll figure out why guys like Alec Asher, Gabriel Yanoa, and Tyler Wilson don't have spots in the majors locked up already. They're likely to falter if exposed too much. But for the moment, they are answering the bell when their number is called, and they are part of what's keeping this team alive. How great, Scott, would it be if we looked back and saw and, and said that we got meaningful innings from our spare parts while Tillman was out and Kevin Gosman was trying to remember how to pitch? For this week, the Norfolk Shuttle, particularly those guys I mentioned, they're my good. Jake, my good for the week has to go to... Manny Machado, he put on an epic um, offensive performance up in Boston, and not to mention dealt with a proverbial S-storm, um, as it were. Hostile in terms territory. Of hostile territory, and then also just having to navigate the aspect of national media slash Boston beat writers looking for a story. Manny Machado did everything he could do um, to basically not be the bad guy. And you know what? He came off as not the bad guy, which is a really tough thing to do. Um, after accidentally spiking Dustin Pedroia, basically. So Manny Machado um, has shown the ability to somewhat grow up over these past few years. He gets a tip of the cap, and he's my good for the week. All right. I will uh, I'll allow it. My bad this week hurts me. Uh, Adam Jones very quietly had a pretty terrible week at the plate. In 30 plate appearances, he had a negative 25 weighted runs created, plus a 182 BABIP. Uh, he had four hits to show for himself against two walks, an intentional walk, and seven strikeouts. I love the cap 10, and he posted up uh, after a nasty shot that he he took off the shin yesterday on a foul ball. He's the heart and soul of the team, but it was a pretty bad week at the plate. 
Go get them next week, Cap. Jake, I got to say, I have never disagreed more strongly with this bad selection of you. Really? Yeah, this is the worst selection you've ever had for Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. All right, tell me why. Adam Jones uh, was my honorable mention for good. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Not just the whole aspect of how he responded to the situation up in Boston, um, off the field and on the field for the comments that were made, but Adam Jones played out of his gosh darn mind in the outfield from a defensive standpoint. I realize, and you're absolutely right, that uh, offensively he has been struggling a little bit, but defensively Adam Jones um, played out of his freaking mind in Boston. Adam Jones deserves a lot of credit, and um, I, I just I can't agree with anything that you're saying here that he was bad. If, at best, he is a um, he could have been better, but he's certainly not bad this week. Adam Jones, well done, sir, well done. And this is for me. And I was thinking about it. I criticized him earlier this year, saying sometimes he's a little too sensitive and soft skin with his social media approach. Adam Jones came out at exactly the right time and said something when it needed to be said. And he said it very eloquently, and he approached the whole situation with local beat writers and the national media um, so well. Um, again, I, I can't even emphasize and put into words you know, everything that he said because, again, a- Adam Jones has to live that every single day. Um, Adam Jones is definitely good in my book. So, Jake, I'm nixing yours. I'm pulling out my, my trump card and saying, Jake— Yours is being erased, and I'm moving him up into into the good category. I have never been more proud to root for Adam Jones than I was this week, but Scott, I'm going to need you to retire the phrase trump card. Trump card? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not so good anymore. Um, all right, so I'm going to have to go uh, with my, my bad for the week, and it's going to have to go to Michael Givens. Um, putting up that, well... The game was well out of reach, basically, at 6-3, to three, and then coming and basically giving up two runs there uh, and pushing to 6-5 to five and kind of forcing the bullpen once again. Michael Gibbons was all over the place this week. 5.4 walks again, uh, giving up homers. Yeah, his Babbitt was a 429, but Michael Gibbons is going to need to step it up with Zach Britton being out. It cannot just be the Darren O'Day and Brad Brock show. It needs to be Michael Gibbons coming in there and being that setup man in the seventh and eighth inning to get to Brock or get to O'Day, he's going to need to become Brad Brock as of last year, basically to set up um, Zach Britton. No argument. You're right. But let me ask you. Yeah. Uh, and no excuses, but is part of that overuse? I don't think so. I don't think so just yet. Um, I, I think it was just, he's been having a lot of issues with command lately. Um, and I don't know why particularly that is the case, but Michael Gibbons needs to get it situated pretty quickly. Is it possible also that he spoiled us with uh, unusually good performance early in the season? No, because he's, he's an untouchable player, so he should be able to dominate, okay? <laughs> Plus, he can play short for us if right. uh, if we need be. Uh, and for my ugly, yeah, let's talk about shortstop. All right. J.J. Hardy. Yeah. J.J. Hardy has been ugly to watch. He is either in a funk at the plate, or we are watching a very steep and precipitous decline of his offensive game. And what's worse is that Hardy seems to be so deep in his own head that he's making mistakes in the field as well. He's talked about the fact that he is not playing well right now. He is aware of it. And I think that it is affecting his game. I was willing to ignore the first couple errors, but Hardy is in a bad way. And there's a very good chance that if it keeps up, he will become a liability. And sure, maybe he comes out of it. Maybe Hardy finds his true defensive form and maybe his lack of offensive production won't hurt us in the long run. But Hardy has to get back to the point where he is not an automatic out in the nine hole and he can be trusted to play shortstop. And when people are calling for Ryan Flaherty, of all people, to get regular playing time over you, you, my friend, are ugly. And so that's what it was this week. J, pause, J, pause, ugly. Jake, there's really one only good ugly for this week. And it's got to be Kurt Schilling, right? Kurt Schilling is the ugliest possible. And I know it's kind of blurs the rules because this is supposed to be Orioles, good, bad, and the ugly. But Kurt Schilling was on the Orioles for a brief period of time. Him coming out and saying that the whole Adam Jones situation was fabricated and he believing that it's complete BS just goes to show how deplorable of a human being this individual is. Uh, this is an individual that has posted things such as um, comparing um, Muslim jihadism to the German Nazis. Um, 
and has posted controversial things over and over again about evolution versus creationism. This is a person that cannot take his foot out of his mouth. So that when he comes out and posts the aspect of, hey, there's no evidence out there, and I really think that Adam Jones is blowing it out of proportion. I really don't think this was happened. If this would have happened, there would have been evidence and someone would have recorded it. To that, Kurt Schilling, I say, you're ugly. Please go put a bullet in your head. I think that it's it's terrible to to draw attention to to suck at the teat of the media attention of, of this particular event, but I also think it's short sighted to be unable to admit that people in your tribe, whatever tribe that may be, and we are so tribal, we as people are so tribal to be able to to not admit that people in your tribe are imperfect or have bad things that happen about them. Look, if something bad had happened at Camden Yards, I wouldn't have denied that it happened. Right. Baltimore fans are capable of being jerks, of being terrible human beings. Rooting for the same team I root for does not make them infallible. And in fact, having them so close and having them interact with us on the day-to-day basis makes it our responsibility to try to right that wrong, to try to reach out, to try to dialogue, and to try to cover up the warts of the rest of our tribe, whatever that may be. Scotty, I usually wince when you walk into the social political area on Bird's Eye View, but my my hat tonight, sir, is tipped to you. It's almost like he doesn't have anything to say, so he pulls out the ultimate trump card. Stop it. Okay, I'll stop it. Can we blow the save? (laughs) We can blow the save. Scotty, this feels wrong. It feels dirty. It feels beneath us. But I'm going to do it anyway. For what may be the first time on Bird's Eye View, I'm going to say something nice about Yankees fans. But before I do so, I'd like to play a little clip. Jake, why'd you make me play that? Let me tell you why. That's uh, that's the Bleacher Creatures in Yankee Stadium that during is the Bleacher Creatures during their annoying, annoying roll call. And uh, at the end, one decidedly enlightened fan laid down the law about two disturbing trends at Major League Baseball parks. The first, of course, is the wave, and the second was casual racism. The former, of course, is uh, because the wave is stupid. And the latter was both a nod at being a good human being and a way to shame their rivals, the Red Sox, after what happened at Fenway. Then these Yankees fans did something nice. They gave Adam Jones a roll call. But he wasn't even there. Damn it, Yankees fans. Stop it. Stop making yourself look decent. Stop making my cold heart melt that's not your role i'll tell you what they'll make it up to you when they're giving a roll call to manny machado in a few years Stop (laughs) and with that my dear friends that is our show that was the ultimate trump card (laughs) remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We'd appreciate a rating and a review. It helps establish what's called social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check it out. And uh, engage with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google+, Snapchat, but the best way is on Twitter, where you can tweet us at Bird's Eye View BAL. 
Scotty, we didn't make a big deal out of our 200th episode, but I want to thank the listeners who have made this show so worth doing. Thanks for sticking with us. And to you, Scotty, thanks for making my Monday evenings full of Orioles, laughter, a few drinks of the week, and uh, good therapy. Thanks, pal. You're going to bid a Mafana do a do? I do a do. Folks, you're foolish out there if you're listening to us, but good night out there. Be safe, and let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.